I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over a 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's Minor League Podcast. I'm Steve Seiper, and I'm joined here with Lucas Vajos and Ken Levin. How are you guys doing? Good, good. I've been better, but I'm still here. Uh, that's dedication. <laughs> uh, Lucas is carrying the team with his Grishin. I got, I got some of that strep elbow. Which I'm a joke I already made pre podcast, but the listeners didn't know that, so all right, well, uh start things off with hmm. well, I'll just say that this is a family show, but four twenty <laughs> just passed. Oh no. And that nice. means something to some people. I don't know what though. Neither is Lucas, neither is Kenny. They're good Christian boys. Somehow I went to Berkeley and actually don't know what it means at all. So, <laughs> But uh, 420 is going to be the theme of today's Promote Extend Trade. And um, believe it or not, Syracuse, Binghamton, and Columbia, they all have particular regional foods associated with them. Syracuse has the salt potatoes, which are exactly that. They're just potatoes that are boiled in extremely salty water. Binghamton has speedies, which are basically shish kebab meat on a sandwich. And Columbia has pimento cheese, which is basically shredded cheddar, pimentos, and mayo all kind of mushed together to form like a spread. What? So in the, 
in the spirit of 420, what food is going to be promoted, extended, or traded between salt potatoes, speedies, and pimento cheese? How did, I'm curious how you actually get that to like the consistency of a spread with just mayo, cheese, and peppers. I assume that there's a lot more mayo than the cheese and the peppers. Oh, that sounds disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Um, I think it's consensus that we're all trading. I'm, I'm trading the pimento, yes. Trade, trade the pimento cheese. I've actually made salt potatoes, and they are delicious, so... Yeah, I like both of those things, salt yeah. and potatoes. So it, it's just the way the the potato skins respond to the salt. I I cook way too much, so I get way too into this stuff. But the way the the potato skins respond to that much salt, uh, it just come out really super tender. So I'll extend the potatoes and promote the speedies. I guess. I've never um, had I've never had a speedy, but they do seem. I mean, you can't go wrong, I guess, with just shish kebab. That's from Binghamton. Yes. Is it horse meat or rumble pony meat, which would be that... thematically appropriate? <laughs> I mean, you you both know that I have long-standing beef with uh, Rowdy the Rumble Pony. So. Uh-huh. That's true. Uh-huh. Well, the Speedy was uh, formed by. Formed. I don't know. The, the recipe, I guess, was made by Italian immigrants, and there are parts of Italy where they do eat horse, so it could be horse meat. I don't know. We're going to get a, an angry email from uh, the that's, denizens of the Binghamton area. <laughs> that's my goal every week of the podcast. Make sure Steve gets an angry email. That's actually funny because Brian informed me last week that for the past three weeks I've been telling everybody the wrong email, so oh. go figure. <laughs> well, I'll just have to redouble the efforts so that we can make up ground on the angry email front. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's get on now to how the teams did. And this week, Syracuse went one and three with a rain postponement, and they are now an even seven and seven, which puts them three and a half games behind Lehigh Valley for first place in the International League North. The Rumble Ponies, they went 2-2 two and two and had two rain postponed games. So that makes them 5-4, and four, which is two and a half games behind the Trenton Thunder for first place in the Eastern League, Eastern Division. St. Lucie went 2-3 and three with a rain postponement, and that makes them 8-7 and seven for the season, which is three games behind the Palm Beach Cardinals for first in the FSL South. And finally, the Columbia Fireflies, and they went... Four and one with a rain postponement, and they are an even seven and seven, which is one and a half games behind Lexington Legend. So one of the reasons why uh, Columbia went four and one this week is because of our hitter of the week, and that individual is Ronnie Mauricio. He was uh, he played in five games this week. And in those 23 at-bats, he hit 391, 440, 478, with nine hits total and a triple. And he also stole two bases. So Mauricio is, um, you know, very classic, I guess, Dominican shortstop. He's even from San Pedro de Macorís. And hopefully one day we'll be able to add him to that list of, you know, greats from that town. 
Uh, Mets definitely saw good things in his future when they signed him. They gave him a $2.1 million signing bonus, which at the time broke the club record, which was previously head by, held by Med Rosario. And he skipped the Dominican Summer League completely, and he made his professional debut with the GCL Mets last year. And he played 49 games for them, and he hit 279, 307, 421. And then he was promoted to the Kingsport Mets at the end of the year, and he got into eight games. And he hit 233, 286, 333. And the Mets were pretty aggressive with him last year, and they continued challenging this year. And they signed him to the Columbia Fireflies, obviously. He turned 18 at the beginning of April, right before the season started, which makes him the third youngest player in the entire league. Only uh, Jose Sanchez from Hagerstown and Julio Rodriguez from West Virginia are younger. And obviously the season is young, but Mauricio really hasn't looked overmatched or anything like that. And he's been taking, you know, he's, he's been looking like a veteran, a guy that belongs. Uh, his bat up right now, it's sky high. It's 442, so his batting average is a bit inflated, but Mauricio does have a nice swing. He has a good hit tool, and it's probably plus uh, in the future. Quick and whippy from the left side, and he has some... From the left side, it's kind of more contact-oriented, and then from the right side, he has a little bit more power. And he has strong wrists and a good eye, so he's going to put the ball and play a lot and not really strike out excessively. And projectability is a term that you hear a lot in prospect circles. And Mauricio's so highly thought of not just because he's pretty advanced for his age right now, but because he's very projectable. The hit tool, like I said, it has the potential to be a plus uh, tool. He hasn't really shown too much power yet, but he's 6'3", 165 pounds, so he's a string bean. He's going to add muscle mass, and he's going to add power. Projection can be a little bit of a double-edged sword, though, because... It might force him off a shortstop. Right now, he does pretty much everything well at shortstop. He reads the belt, reads the ball off the bat good. He shows good reaction times. He has good instincts. He has soft hands. Quick transfer, plus arm. The one thing that is kind of questionable regarding Mauricio's defense is his range. But he's been able to cover for that because he's strong everywhere else. If he puts on more mass, too much mass, he's already... Eh, shortstop range might be compromised even more, which would make him better suited than a third base or in the outfield. But for now, he's a shortstop, and as long as he remains athletic and agile, he's going to remain a shortstop. So on a scale of 1 to 10, how excited does Mauricio make you guys? Uh, say like a solid 7 for now. Um... He's looked really good. Like, um, like you said, the, the hit, I was, I was very surprised by how good the hit tool looks so far. The bat stays in the hitting zone like a long time. And, um, you know, I, I've probably seen a lot more of him from the left side so far, but he stays inside the ball very well, which is nice to see from a kid his age. I'm. Uh, I'm less excited about him. Like I came into the season as the, I think lowest among, uh, or lowest on Mauricio among the three of us. Just cause the, I know you're not supposed to scout the stat line, but the, the, the performance wasn't there yet. Now, and, and I understand he's super young, he's super projectable. Once he starts hitting for a little bit more power, I'll get more excited. But 
right now I see someone who probably has to move like with a body that probably has to move off shortstop that hasn't demonstrated a ton of power yet. And that doesn't do much for me. Now at the same time, uh, I feel like if there's ever, I, th- I feel like this is an era where you might see, start seeing more taller shortstops with how much teams shift because you can account for poor range. Uh, so perhaps, uh, while I, hedge my optimism with the lack of power so far should also hedge the pessimism with the fact that he's still at shortstop so on a scale of one to ten i'll call it a solid five or six um but i'm definitely still more excited about vientos or even uh well he's hurt now but newton coming into the season i'll definitely agree that seeing him i guess the best way to put it has made me more excited um, because, like you were kind of saying, the numbers were just so-so from last year and coming to the season. And given that he played down at the complex for most of the year and that a handful of games in Kingsport, you know, weren't wasn't really a lot of eyes on him. So you're seeing the numbers, it's one thing. But then now in Columbia, getting to see him play, you know, getting to see just the – the physical act of seeing him play, I think, has definitely increased how excited I am for him. I'm not, like, drooling yet, because, like you said, there are definitely things that he still needs to work on. But He's so, he's so young. Right, exactly. This can he go is, a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, you, in 10 years, he'll be entering his prime in 20, you know, 28. Yeah. I think A lot think can like, happen in 10 years. Yeah, and I think, like, uh, well... It's a tough to see how the Mets season is going at the moment, but if if it comes down to it and the Mets need to make a big, big move, Mauricio is good enough of a prospect that he can bring something really nice back, but also someone I'm – the kind of guy I'd be okay moving if the team is actually worth adding to. Um, so that's kind of like my – where I'm at with him. I'm like happy to have him in the organization, but I'm not going to be upset to lose him if necessary. I can agree with that. That kind of sums up how I feel. I don't think that he is untouchable, but... Now, if they trade him for a pitcher instead of just signing Keuchel, then I'll be annoyed, but that's a whole other discussion. (laughs) Yeah, I'd put him in um, sort of like the... Not quite the Kalnick camp, where, you know, I'm fine with moving him for the right players, you know, Cano and Diaz being the right players, but, you know, I'm, I'm skeptical about... He's not somebody I'd move for nothing, you know? I'd move yep. for something that I, I couldn't get with money. Right. Is is what would I'd have to do, you know? No, the Mulpons will just move him so that instead of paying three million for the bench <laughs> bat they're trading for, they'd have to pay zero for the bench bat they're trading for. Yep. That is the MO. I would uh be very annoyed. Yep. <laughs> Everyone will be annoyed if that happens. All right, well, our pitcher of the week is probably a guy that, if he was traded, most people wouldn't uh, start ranting on Twitter. And that individual is Harold Gonzalez. He pitched, he made one start this week. He went six innings, giving up three runs on four hits. He walked one, and he struck out eight. So Harold's 24 now, um, but he burst on the scene in 2016 when he's with the Cyclones. His 2.01 ERA and 88 strikeouts led the league. 
and they remain two of the best marks in franchise history. And the New York Penn League does have a tendency to make pitchers look a lot better than they actually are. But Harrell wasn't exactly hit by the regression bug too hard in 2017. He spent most of the year with Columbia, and then he got into a handful of games with St. Lucie at the end of the year. And he posted a cumulative 3.53 ERA in 137.2 out uh, innings. And last season, especially the second half of the year when he was with Binghamton, he really got exposed, and that regression bug did bite him. The first half when he was at St. Lucie, he posted a 3.82 ERA in 73.1 innings. But in the second half, he made one start for the 51s, which, you know, easy to ignore. He didn't do too bad anyway. But then he spent the rest of the year with the Rumble Ponies, and it really was not pretty. Uh, In 52 innings of bingo, he posted a 7.79 ERA, giving up 79 hits, walking 17, and just striking out 30. So... Not optimal. Obviously, he's repeating his time in Binghamton this year. Extremely small sample size. Two appearances, one start and one kind of uh, multiple inning relief outing. But hopefully his uh, luck changes. Uh, Harold's a Jeff guy, no doubt. But I feel like I have some affinity with him too because that summer, 2016, I saw Harold like three or four times, and his starts were definitely the most fun. That was also the summer of, like, of, of Justin Dunn and Thomas Zapucky, but I feel like they were kind of like sideshows since they were both limited in how many innings they were pitching, whereas Harold was out there all summer chasing the pitching crown. So I fi- felt, you know, a lot more invested in seeing his starts and seeing how well he did than Dunn or Zapucky, which is more of kind of a go-to-see-them, couple of innings, and then whatever. And it was also cool seeing how the reports on Harold changed that uh, summer as compared to his time at Kingsport the year before. Seeing his first couple of starts is pretty cool to, you know, read the reports that Jeff filed and then be like, oh, this changed. Or, you know, you see how he's throwing this, you know, now or whatever it is. And Harold is just like a fun guy to root for. Um, but you really do have to squint to see any kind of major league future with him. He put on a little bit of weight. He was listed at six foot 160 pounds. So even if he put on like 20 pounds, which I don't think he did, he'd still kind of be undersized. But that weight didn't exactly add much to his profile. Uh, the fastball, you know, it sits 90, tops out like 91, 92. Uh, he's able to hold the velocity better as compared to 2016, 2017. But when you're throwing a, a below-average fastball to begin with, it, I guess it really doesn't matter too much if your velocity is holding at 90 or if it's dipping to, like, 88, 87. And, you know, the rest of his arsenal is just okay. There's nothing really that stands out. And he's just one of those kinds of minor leaguers that is better than the sum of his individual parts, stat-wise, but because none of those individual parts are particularly great, it's hard to really see a future for him in the major leagues anyway. Well, the Mets will put that assertion to the test. (laughs) Like, I'm trying to picture, I'm trying to figure out in my head where he is on the starting pitching depth chart right now. Uh, 
probably get so there's like the cluster of Gagnon, Flexen, Santiago. Who else is starting at AAA right now? Oswald. Oh, Oswald, right. Harrell is like tenth on the depth chart. Maybe? Yeah, I was gonna say he's got to be top ten, right? Yeah. Unless you count Gazelman and Lugo, but I don't think the team really wants to put them back in the rotation. Uh, so. So what percentage chance would you guys give Harold of making a start in the big leagues this year? This year? Uh, or gonna... maybe we'll say next two years since, you know, <sighs> he's in double A, he hasn't pitched in triple A yet. Mm, if I would... grow... Go ahead, Steve. Uh, I would say like maybe 2%. Like, <laughs> he, there's, you know, there's always guys out there that are kicking around in the minors that have reached kind of the top, either double A, triple A, the numbers are just okay, you know, to solid, whatever, and they just haven't really gotten that chance because of whatever the issue may be. And I feel like Harold is going to be one of those guys that he's going to be kicking around for however long in the upper levels of the minors, but he's just not really going to be given a chance because his stuff just is very underwhelming. And it's kind of underwhelming where, you know, you could transition him to the bullpen and it's not really going to make much of a difference. So he doesn't really have a path, you know, that way either. No, he's not a guy who can just air it out. Um, I mean, I think you're describing him pretty pretty perfectly. I just think there's – that the Mets starting pitching depth chart is so bad at the moment that it's a little bit higher than 2%. Like I'd put it like 5 to 10%. We're quibbling here, right? Like yeah. Uh, this is if DeGrom is healthy. If DeGrom's elbow was borked, then uh, a lot higher than that. Oh, no. I, if if DeGrom's elbow was borked, I'd say like 30%. But knock on wood or whatever. Yeah, it would, it would not be a good situation. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's just not only if, if – if in that scenario, like not only are you down a starting pitcher, but the season's also basically over, so you're probably going to start cycling through young guys and et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, but yeah, it would have moment, to be a, a season like how the season in which PJ Conlon got a couple of starts. Oh God, was, I forgot was about that last year or the yeah, year that before? Yeah, that was last year. That was last year. Okay. He, he would again. be he would be in the conversation for depth too. True. Oh, PJ Conlon. I would imagine that he would be ahead of Gonzalez just because he already has prior major league experience. That's true. I forgot that PJ Conlon existed. He like looked good for all of three innings, and then it uh, didn't look so good anymore. Well, he is kind of the left-handed version of Harrell. Yeah. Underwhelming, you know, underwhelming stuff. Not that great of a fastball. Statistically, will can post decent numbers, but you know when you look at the profile, nothing is going to jump out that says this guy can succeed in the majors. Is he still rocking the uh, mini Pedro Martinez look? He is sick, <laughs> <laughs> just without the stuff. Yeah, if he had Pedro's stuff, it would be a very different conversation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no one has Pedro's stuff. All right, well, we will be back after this. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And welcome back. I'm Steve Saipa. I'm joined by Lucas and Kenny. And um, this brings us to our bottom of the inning now, where we're just going to talk about anything. And the Blue Jays are finally calling up Vlad Guerrero Jr., and Fernando Tatis Jr. over in San Diego, he's basically the only other National League rookie that's keeping pace with Peter Alonso. Victor Robles. So, well, well, yeah, that's true. Well, I try not to even pay any attention to competitors. That's fair. They did steal. <laughs> they did steal Howie's line on Twitter. So you know, go away, Nats. Anyway. But surprisingly, in the you know 50 or so years that the Mets have existed. They've never actually had a either by uh, signing or drafting a junior that made it to the majors. So I just wanted to go back and look at some of the you know Mets player bloodlines. Um, there's been plenty of guys that have been sons or relatives of other um, players. So I guess I'll just start in chronological order with the most recent, and that would be Daniel Alfonso, who is the son of Edgardo. And he was drafted in the 38th round of the 2017 draft, but he didn't sign. There's Gregory Guerrero, who is the son of Vlad, uh, excuse me, the nephew of Vlad Guerrero, and also his brother Jose. And they were both signed as international rookies in 2015. There's LJ Mazzilli, who is the son of Lee, and he was drafted by the Mets in the fourth round of the 2013 draft. There's Corey Vaughn who is the son of Greg Vaughn, and he was also drafted in the fourth round of the 2010 MLB draft. There is J.J. Franco, who is the son of John Franco, and he was drafted in the 42nd round of the 2010 draft, and he didn't sign with the Mets, but he did eventually sign with them as a minor league free agent. There's my boy Juan Urbina, and he was signed as an international rookie in 2009. Uh, the son of Ugweth Urbina. There's Ike Davis, who is the son of Ron Davis, and he was drafted in the first round, the 18th player overall in the 20 in the 2008 MLB draft. There's Francisco Pena, who is the son of Tony Pena, and he signed as an international rookie in 2006. Brian Bannister, who is the son of Floyd Bannister, he was drafted in the seventh round of the 2003 MLB draft. There's Preston Wilson, who's not technically related to Mookie. He's his stepson, but close enough. Uh, he was drafted the ninth overall 
in the first round of the 1992 draft. This one I didn't know. Todd Hunley. He's actually the son of a former catcher, Randy Hunley. And he was drafted in the second round of the 1987 draft. Who is Randy Hundley? Todd Hundley's father. Randy Hundley. I'm Googling. Let's all uh, scoot over to BB Ref. Mm -hmm. And the final guy is Jamie Roseboro, who is the son of Johnny Roseboro, the famous Dodgers catcher. And he was drafted in the 11th round of the 1986 draft. Randy Hundley was a catcher for the... Giants, Cubs, Twins, and Padres. Oh, wow. He had, like, some legit good seasons for he the Cubs. He did. He did. Yeah, it was like a Oh, and some legit bad seasons, too. Wow. 23 <laughs> weighted with the Twins. 60 oh, wow. weighted with the Cubs in 1970. Not good. 1972, he was worth negative 1.3 B-War. The uh, 43 weighted. However, in 1967, he was worth 3.9 B-War. All right, so a lot his, of variance. His 19, uh, 1969, he would have... 1969, he was actually like a legit all-star. All right, well, good for you, buddy. Never heard of this person before. <laughs> <laughs> I immediately was thinking of the, the Padres catcher, and I'm, or he's not on the Padres anymore. Who's Nick Hundley play for these days? Giants, I think. But I'm like, he's too young. There's no way his son's playing or has been drafted already. That doesn't make any sense. He's with Oakland this year. Okay. All right. There's so many catchers named Hundley. Weird. Um, Good question. So if, if, uh, if, uh, the name is escaping me. If the Christ, the catcher related to the turtle, Wilfred. Well, yeah. If, if Wilfred makes it, does he count or no? Because he's family, but he's not a son. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a relative. There, there's been a bunch of uh, you know other bloodlines. There's the Caccini brothers. There's him. Who else? There's been a bunch of brother duos as well, or cousins, or. Lots of cousins, yes, including yes. if we're talking about the Guerrero family. <laughs> the Mets got a. <laughs> the Mets got the bad Guerrero. They yeah. got a, the nephew, and apparently the uh, the bloodlines kind of. I feel like Vlad Guerrero soaked up. <laughs> isn't isn't the story that they were in on Vlad too, and then got outbid at the last moment by I the mean, possibly. I know that's I, – I think that story is, like, much, much more confirmed with Eloy, but the Cubs stole stole him. I don't know. I vaguely remember this being uh, passed around at the time. I'm sure there's all sorts of machinations behind the scenes coming mm -hmm. down to, you know, lots of people on a lot of these guys. I'm sure. I mean, Gregory um, was a legit prospect, too. He, just, he was. He was. Uh, but didn't his shoulder blow out? Yes. That would, explain, that would explain a lot. I would quibble that he was even, at, at any point, a legitimate prospect. He was not. I he mean, wasn't? Oh, okay. Nah. People, I mean, if you go to, like, the MLB prospect list, I'm pretty sure that he's still on there, which is laughable. Yeah, I mean, that's... <laughs> um, I, yeah, but, I mean, that's nuts. I meant, like, as a signee, he was... 
Right. I, he, I mean, he he actually got a higher signing bonus than Andres Jimenez, which, you know, is kind of funny, I guess, how these things go, given the two different paths. So it's almost like scouting 15-year-olds in a impoverished island nation is hard. Yeah, but a, a lot of his, uh, I don't know, how would I call it, not prospect helium, but a lot of the, the buzz around his name was just the fact that he was a Guerrero. I mean, even from day one when he was signed, there were questions, like most rookies. I mean, I'll, I'm not going to damn him, but... There were a lot of questions about his swing and just a lot of questions about him in in general. And if he was, you know, Gregory Hernandez instead of Gregory Guerrero, there would not have been as much of a fuss about him. Makes sense. This uh, list of 2015 IFAs is pretty wild. Oh, boy. This should be good. Who did the Mets miss out on? They uh, so Guerrero was ranked higher on Pipeline's list than the following: Leotis Tavares, mm. uh, one Mister Juan Soto, Oops. <laughs> and Fernando Tatis Jr., who was Oops. ranked number thirty. But as we know, you know, projecting what sixteen-year-olds are going to look like. Tatis was also like five foot eight and not good. If I if the so the story goes, and he was just like super rail thin. Yeah, yeah. And then he grew six inches and added fifty pounds, and suddenly he's a monster shortstop. Hey, that at is least, what happens. Hey, at least we didn't sign him and then trade him for James Shields. True. Could be worse. And then Juan Soto was never super projectable, if I recall correctly, but all he's done is hit. It's like the the precocious, <laughs> like yeah. Who else did the Mets sign that year aside from Guerrero and Jimenez? Uh, those were the two big names because they both got over two million. I think mm, so they got not, nothing else. Uh, her, um, Jimenez got I think two point one, and Guerrero got two point five. So that um, made up the bulk. one point two and one point five. Well, okay, so I was a million off for each. Yeah. Still, though, that was the bulk of the... Yeah. Know. I think Newton might have also been signed that year as well. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Is that also Luis Santana? Luis Santana, who died for J.D. Davis's sins. I yeah. No matter how... Okay, Davis is. I'm just still not going to ever like him because of that. More upset about losing. Yeah, and that's right. I mean, if he keeps sitting like this, I'm not going to complain too, too much, but. I uh, stand by, what was it, Jeff, that said he was um, <laughs> Wilmer Flores, but cheaper and not as good? <laughs> it's the truth. JD Davis. <laughs> I think he's better than Wilmer, honestly. Like, it's, it's, not like Wilmer, it's not like Wilmer could play any defense either, let's be real. True, if he can but... actually play the outfield a little bit, then then maybe. I wish they just put him out there and put McNeil. We've, we've once again lost the thread. Yeah. yeah. That's cool, though. Hopefully uh, hopefully, some of the uh, – in, uh, in 30 years when uh, – what's David Wright's kid's name? Olivia? Shea? No, that's Chipper Jones. Yeah, that's... I think it's Olivia Shea, right? 
I thought he, I thought he had two kids. I thought he had another younger boy. I might be wrong. Scoot over to. Wikipedia. But fine. Maybe may, maybe Olivia is the first uh, uh, woman ball, ball player for the Mets. I think we'd all be very down with that history. Yeah. Between Olivia her... Shea and Madison are his two daughters. Oh. All right. So they could be a, a battery, maybe. <laughs> she already threw then, out the first pitch. Yeah, that's true. So it's a good one. Pitching recall. experience. On a big league mound, no less. Uh-huh. Right, right. Major league experience, <laughs> one out. <laughs> well, another guy that might be uh, in the future and actually might break the trend. Well, I guess I wouldn't call it a trend because the Mets have had some decent bloodline guys. I mean, Ike Davis was good for a couple of years. Um, Preston Wilson, he was had a solid career. But that's really, you know, Todd Helmley was pretty good. That's kind of the extent of it. But in this year's draft, Jack Leiter could be a Mets selection. And it would be cool to see him go on to do good things. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Conine, too, right? Griffin a, Conine? Yeah, was Griffin. last year. Last oh, that year, was last two. year? Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. I think the Blue Jays took him. Yes, right. the Blue Jays literally have every single... Guy in creation. Yes, Bobachet says hello. I guess they're just going for the all legacy team. Yeah. I tell you, it's worked really well for them. <laughs> yeah, it seems it seems like it's working out so far. Although well, it looks you... like uh Griffin Conine is either gonna be in short season or is hurt. So this year. He's yet to debut this year. Not a good way to start off his career. No. <coughs> All right, well. Should we do our uh, that guy bit now, I suppose? <laughs> yes, let's uh, go back and look at some guys that had success this day, this week, however you guys want to do it. Uh, oh, yeah, that guy. So I tried to do it the more honest way this week and didn't come up with the first – bad middle infielder the Mets have produced that came to my head and go fishing. Uh, I just started poking back through pitchers uh, starting in 2008 and going forward, and the first interesting one I stumbled upon was Bradley Holt, who I had forgotten existed. Forgot... I cannot speak. Jesus. Forgotten... I forgot Bradley Holt existed. There we go. Because um, he's a little bit before my time of actually caring about prospects. Uh, he was picked in the same year as Ike Davis and Reese Havens uh, in the uh, uh, competitive bat. Uh, back then he was a comp He was a comp pick for – I don't remember who he was a comp pick for, but he was a comp pick back when arbitration worked that way. Um, and initially he had a lot of success in uh, his draft year in 2009 in low A, uh, but never really got it going – uh, outside of advanced day after that and just kind of fizzled out, never got above triple a, um, another failed top Mets draft pick. But, uh, in this week in 2009, scrolling, scrolling, he had a six inning start where he struck out seven, allowed only four base runners. And since for a good week for a pitcher is basically one good start. That's a pretty good week for a guy who never made it much higher. 
Yeah, Holt was a bit before my uh, time also. I just know from doing research a couple of years ago with Cyclone's numbers, he is still one of the top, if not the top, I think, uh, strikeout king there. I think he struck out 93 guys that in, in 20, 2009, 2010. Let's see. Fan please load for me. So he struck out 96 in 2008. Mm. Because Brooklyn must win, you know? Uh, he had a 1.87 ERA. That's in 72 innings. Uh, how old was he that year? He would have been 18. Yeah, so I guess that's age appropriate. It's not like they... Am I doing my math correctly there? No, no, no. He would have been 21. No, so he's the 21. Is, yeah, yeah, that is the Mets taking a guy who's way too old <laughs> for the league and shot. I'm like, the Mets did something... Smart with a draft pick? No, that couldn't be correct. Uh, did so, It looks like he did set the strikeout record that year. Mm-hmm. And it remains the record. Um, 2002's Kevin Deaton has the number two with 93 strikeouts. And um, Marcos Molina in 2014 has the number three with 91. This really isn't a list you want to appear on, it seems like. Uh, well, and then do you want to know who has the ERA record? Uh, Henry Mejia, random guess. No, no. Okay. It's a guy that begins with a H sound, though. Hansel Robles. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> this is actually really impressive. Uh, in uh, 72 and two outs innings, he had a 1.11 ERA, which is really, really good. That's like the Grom, the Grom level in the New York Penn League. Didn't they have like a really great rotation of guys at that point? Uh, yeah. And Hansel is the only one who made it. Basically, the entire that the entire pitching staff of that year has is on the record books for either most strikeouts or lowest ERA with Louis Sessa, Rennie Lara, Louis Mateo, Hansel Robles, and Gabriel Yanoa. Oh man, so a bunch of guys actually. That's a really successful. Like yeah. if you t- if you look at like a, a rotation for Brooklyn and say three of these two, three of these guys are going to make the majors. One of them's going to see significant setup innings. Two of them are going to get significant times as it's time as a starter. That's huge. Now I don't know that you necessarily would have picked those three, but. Well, yes, Jeff, I mean, Jeff, Jeff would have been mashing hard yes on Yanoa the whole time, so that's a given. <laughs> but yeah, that's most likely where it started. We should start referring to him as Orioles Ace Gabriel Yanoa. That's damning with faint praise. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ken. Who is your uh, oh yeah guy? Um, so I I went a different route. Um and just chose the person who had the best 420 of the last uh, few years. Of since course. Since that's, that's the day we're recording. Michael Conforto? Um, uh, I went a little farther back than that. Oh. <laughs> and uh, looks like Matt Reynolds went three for four uh, for St. Lucie on April 20th, 2013. Not bad. And, uh, I believe we all know the the Matt Reynolds story. Um, chosen. I'm gonna 
I'm blanking on the year. This you is great radio content. World Series backup shortstop caliber Matt Reynolds. That that is a thing that happened. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah, Matt Reynolds had one good year in the minors, if I recall correctly. Um. I believe it was 2014 in Binghamton where he hit a Babbitt fueled 343-405-454 while spending most of the year there. Um, yeah, he, he, you know, logged not insignificant big league time. He's caught, played for two different franchises in the majors, the, the Mets being one and Washington being another. Um, yeah, and on uh, 4-20-2013, he went 3-4 for four with an RBI. So, good for you, Matt Reynolds. <laughs> Had himself a day. <laughs> and nothing else significant happened before or after? Yep. No. No, no sir. <laughs> he was in he, – he will forever be a 2015 uh, National League champion New York Met, though. He might be the only Met who want who should th- needs to thank Chase Utley for something <laughs> for about uh, two weeks of major league perdium. <laughs> <laughs> well, the guy that I picked had a. I looked at his entire week, and it was a pretty damn good seven game stretch, probably the best in his career. Uh, this guy hit four seventeen. 563-917 in seven games at Binghamton, hitting four homers and driving in eight and stealing the base for good measure. And that individual is Brian Bergamy. So you oh, might yeah! Be, you might be wondering, who is Brian Bergamy? Because honestly, <laughs> until I clicked on the box score and I saw his name, I forgot he existed. And the name was kind of familiar, but I did not remember a single notable thing about him or anything that he did with the Mets. But it turns out he was an Eastern League All-Star that year. Uh, he was one of four B-Mets selected, along with, and here's some other good names, Kyle Johnson, Cody Satterwhite, and John Velasquez. And he ended up hitting 276, 376, 504 in 121 games with Binghamton. And he was actually a pretty big part of them making back-to-back playoffs and then winning the Eastern League Championship in 2014. And we were talking about Travis Tyrone last week and just kind of minor league grinders, and Bergamy is definitely a grinder. Uh, He was drafted in 2002 by the Padres at Wichita State, and he was with them for five years, but he never made up his double-A. And he was selected by the Phillies in the minor league portion of the Rule 5 draft. And same thing, he wasn't particularly good in the couple of years that he was there. And he eventually found himself at a professional ball. And he was playing for Newark Bears, who no longer exist. And there's just like an empty stadium in the middle of Newark that they're going to turn into uh, an apartment building, which is kind of shitty, but oh well. That's I mean, that's just how, yeah, North Jersey real estate works. Is... Yeah. Um, but the Mets signed him and they assigned him to St. Lucie and he looked all right, but then he hurt his shoulder and his season basically ended after eight games. So that was like, for a regular guy, I think that would be a sign like, you know, you had your one break and, you know, you didn't screw it up, but it just went wrong. And a lot of people probably call it quits after that, but he didn't. And he continued plugging along in the Indy Leagues. 
And then he was playing in Australia, Mexico for a few years. And then in 2014, the Mets came calling again. And this time his body held up. And he was a Eastern League goal star. And the Mets didn't keep him. And he went to the Dodgers in 2015. And he finally made it to AAA, but he wasn't particularly good. And then he fell back into obscurity again. And he was playing as recently as 2017 when he played with the Gigantes in the Dominican Winter League and then with the New Jersey Jackals in the Can-Am League. But it looks like he hung up his cleats after uh, the 2017 season. And I found a quote, and, you know, um, it kind of gives you a glimpse of that, of that keep-plugging-away mindset. And his quote is, I always told myself that I would be playing until I couldn't play anymore, until my body gave up or nobody wanted me. As of right now, I'm playing the best I've ever played in my life. I think this quote was 2008. Um, I don't see anything slowing down anytime soon, which year to year, you never know. Things can creep up. You don't know how things are going to work out in the future. But as of right now, I plan on going until I can't anymore. I'm pretty much a lifer, so when I'm done, when I can't play anymore, when I'm hobbling around, whatever it is, I'm probably going to be coaching somewhere. I don't know if he is is coaching anywhere right now, but that just goes to show that, you know, the drive that some of these guys have to just keep playing, keep playing no matter what, because an opportunity might come knocking somewhere. And honestly, in, in my own life, I don't think that I have anything that, like, drives me with such a laser-honed focus like that, like some of these guys. And it's really impressive when you think about it. Yeah, we could have a long philosophical discussion about the search for purpose. <laughs> but so it's this too heavy. Probably not, too, not the right forum for that, honestly. Need a lot more alcohol to have that discussion, too. <laughs> well, any last words on anything? Please be okay, Jacob DeGrom. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, please. Um, not a whole lot behind him, as we've uh, seen today. So. All right, well, if anyone has any questions, comments, or whatever, you could send us an email at our new and actually working email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. If it is involving black market body parts. Again, address it to Brian, please. Uh, Follow us on Twitter (laughs) or shoot us questions, whatever. Uh, I'm at Steve Saipa. Lucas is at ElVlahos343. And Ken is at KenLevin91. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Rate and review. And everybody, we, we thank everybody for listening. And we will be back next week with a recap of the third week of the 2019 Memory Season.